Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings! Oh, that was a bit shrill, wasn't it? Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer, Chapter Casaluna. Wonder what this one's going to be about. Ooh, who knows? Although, uh, shall we do a little bit of news first, Bernard, before oh, yes. we start reading? We have some rather exciting news, don't yeah, we? Yeah, so we've just been doing a bit of singing. Professional singing! Professional singing? That's right, because Long Cat Media, their next project is called, what is it? It's, uh, the Ballad of Anne and Mary. Yes, it's... Pirate. Sort of swashbuckling pirate musical. Yes, but a couple of wenchers doing their wenching thing. And um, we've been employed to provide our voices for the chorus, haven't yes. we? Uh, what, what, what role are you playing, dear? I'm, I'm Gossiper 1. And I'm Gossiper 2. Yes, so that's exciting. So listen out for our voices. It's been a jolly long time since I've done any professional singing. Not, yeah, since, the, not since the late 80s, I don't think. Of course, and you were backing vocals, weren't you? I dear? was. Bass and backing vocals. Yes, well, you know, my voice has always been overlooked. Yes, of course. Yes, my talent has always been hidden under a bushel. Well, you've got a lovely voice, my dear. I know. I know. It's time the world knows that as well. Absolutely. All right, let's get on with my book. So, chapter Casaluna. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bernard's workplace, per se. The building is Georgian. Well, I I suppose it is. I know nothing about architecture save what I've absorbed from BBC costume dramas. It's a huge square thing with faux Grecian columns sitting in an expanse of manicured lawn and approached by a long sweeping drive. Very Mansfield Park, except for the 50 or so pigs in the field that borders the car park. But that's the countryside for you. Pig shit and gentry side by side. I'm vaguely surprised to find that the interior matches the exterior, despite the ground floor being given over to office space. I was rather expecting the usual open-plan desert, the colour palette a soul-crushing navy and grey, bathed in unforgiving strip lighting. I couldn't have been more wrong. Instead, it resembles a QC's inner chambers, mahogany desks, shelves of dusty-looking tomes, thick carpets in shades of gentlemen's club, one almost expects some Dickensian character to come bumbling out of an office, Mr. Doolally Tiddly-Widdly-Bum-Bum with half-moon spectacles, clutching a sheaf of papers and smelling of tobacco leaf and egg custard. Ugh, Dickens. Having had a quick look round, we head up to the residential area on the first-stroke top floor. Bernard says it's in the same style as the ground floor, and to be honest, I now vaguely recall him telling me his workplace was quite special and extremely grand, back when the company moved to their new digs. At the time, I took that to mean they'd installed a fish tank in reception. 
We pass a hollow globe on the way to the lift. The top half open to reveal an interior lined with circular rows of cigars in decreasing sizes, each one standing on end like little soldiers, or very regular turds. Turds that have been arranged by a scat fetishist with OCD. Ugh. What are you thinking about? Bernard asks, noticing my dreamy expression. Just admiring the decor, darling. Bernard chuckles. Yes, it is a bit OTT, but that's Roger, isn't it? And it goes down well with our foreign clients. They think it's very English. I snort. (laughs) That's very good, dear. Thank you. I blame those BBC costume dramas. Why else would anyone persist in thinking the English are a charmingly stuffy, genteel race? Now we know what Roger's house looks like. This is positively restrained, I note, passing a mounted stag head. The overall effect of all this storybook Englishness, and in this respect it is very similar to Roger's house, is that it's bloody creepy. Granted, the place has far more character than your typical depressingly functional office, but I fear the character in question is Jack the Ripper. Even if it were filled with office types on a normal working day, I'd still half expect to find a Victorian prostitute murdered with a candlestick in the boardroom. Maybe my discomfort is because I'm a woman, and therefore not designed to find such a billiards and gout place relaxing, as Bernard seems positively proud of the place. Even Dave seems to like it. He's been running round like a maniac, darting between rooms and exploring every nook and cranny. Thankfully, he hasn't relayed anything disturbing about our new surroundings, which is of some comfort. Quiet here, isn't it? I accidentally boom as we enter the lift, startling Dave who's returned from his exploring. Whoops, I whisper. Good acoustics, eh? Oh, you'll have to put an effect on that, Bernard. Oh, I see, right, yes, Yes. a a reverberant, yes. Yes. The doors of the glass elevator slide soundlessly open at the top floor. That's right, a glass elevator. It's a jarringly modern addition, which along with the basement, an area taken up by a stainless steel kitchen and janitorial space, still manages to be creepy. Maybe I'm just finding everything creepy at the moment. We step out and the lift doors instantly swish closed behind us. Did you lock the front door up? I ask, trying to control the wobble in my voice. Yes, dear. He soothes. You were there when I did it. No one else is getting in. I'm not soothed, however. Bernard found the spare key to get into the building. Under the doormat at the front door. The bloody doormat. Anyone could have taken it. Although, thankfully, Bernard had to disable an alarm when we gained entrance, so there is that. (gasps) Did you reset the alarm? I ask. Of course, you watched me do that as well. Just checking, I say, my voice shrill. Dave is already whizzing off down the corridor like a furry bullet, eager to collect more smells, whereas Bernard and I are rooted to the spot with indecision. We're spoilt for choice. The corridor stretches to either side of us, numbered doors on both sides of the wall, each one the entrance to a mini flat for visiting clients. The Shining pops into my head, naturally. Bloody Kubrick. Because of him, I haven't been able to relax in a hotel corridor since 1980. Still. At least we're not creeping around in the dark, struggling to find individual light switches. The hallway is already brightly lit when we get up there. After turning off the alarm earlier, Bernard had to find the control panel for the lights. Roger had told Bernard over the phone that it was hidden behind some faux Grecian statue in the foyer. We found it after an absolute age of scrambling around in the pitch dark and started flicking switches. The third switch along turned the main lights on for the whole building. Which is why it's rather alarming when the lights suddenly go off. 
I scream, grabbing hold of Bernard in the dark. As soon as my hand makes contact with his Macintosh, the lights come on again. Christ alive, I shriek, still clutching a fistful of waxed canvas. What was that? It's all right. No need to panic. Bernard wheezes, throat constricted, with fear, no doubt. And then I realize I've pulled his coat rather tight across his chest and neck. I let go. We just stood still for too long. Bernard croaks. The lights in the hallways are on motion sensors. Like the doors to the lift, because they shut very quickly when we stepped out. Oh, uh, yes, I suppose so. Bernard massages his neck. They're in the communal toilets as well. It's a nightmare if you're settled in for a long one. Anyway, it's an energy preservation thing, so we'd best keep moving. This way then, say I, setting off purposefully down the right-hand corridor. I need to take the lead, even on something this unimportant. Otherwise, I feel buffeted by fate and other people's decisions, and it's most unnerving. I stop at the first doorway, which has a brass number 12 on the door, and try the handle. It opens. No locks, then? Oh, marvellous. Well done, Roger, you trusting Burke. How does this man own a security firm? I switch on the bedroom light and immediately perk up. Ooh, this is nice. The idea of treating this like a mini-break flares into life again. The room is in the same decorative spirit as the rest of the house, but the heavy Victoriana seems more fitting in a boudoir. I flounce in and swing my overnight bag onto the four-poster bed. It bounces pleasingly. Bernard follows me in. It is nice, isn't it? Like a posh hotel, says Bernard happily. We grin at each other. It doesn't take much to cheer us up, and free luxury accommodation is a definite boost to the spirits. Fit for a queen, I crow. Who are you calling a queen? Bernard grabs me round the waist, and I, ooh, playfully. Still entwined and swathed in coats and scarves, we crash onto the bed and commence canoodling. Just as the jumpers are coming off, Dave's voice hovers into my head, asking if we're having sex or fighting. I look up to find him staring at us from beside the bed. Quite the passion killer. So much for a mini-break. I'm going to the loo, I grumble, breaking away from Bernard and readjusting myself. On my way to the ensuite, I shoo Dave into the hallway and shut the door on him. He'll be all right out there for a while. Ooh, I coo a few seconds later. What is it? Double sinks, a clawed bath, and a bidet. I never use a bidet because I can't be bothered to towel off every time I have a number two. But it's nice to have the option, isn't it? Also, it's very handy for pre-coital front bum washing. When I come out, Bernard has clearly given up on the idea of canoodling and has set the flip chart up by the window. He's filled in point number one with... Do you want to say this, Bernard, seeing as you wrote it? All right, yes. Dating Sandra, coincidence, called Bob. Description? Oh, I say downcast. The flip chart. I think we should. Bernard says, and I can see he's forcing himself. We shouldn't ignore this, Magenta. Flumping down onto a very hard, wing-back chair by a big brown desk. I don't know all the types of wood, do I? Let's say it's birch, if you're that bothered. I resign myself to more sleuthing, although not before casting my eyes over the room in search of something to take the edge off. What are you looking for? Bernard asks. A minibar, I reply, hope slowly seeping away as I search. A miniature fridge would be fairly apparent in this room, unless it's disguised as an antique cabinet, which it might be. I open a likely-looking contender by the side of the bed, but there's only a copy of the Koran within. Most of our visiting clients are from the Middle East. Bernard says. They don't drink. Roger probably hasn't bothered to install any minibars. Muttering darkly, I return to the chair and sit. 
How about a cup of tea? I can go down to the kitchens in the basement. No tea. Let's do this, I declare, clapping my hands together abruptly. On the other side of the door, I faintly hear Dave exclaiming unhappily at the crack of sound. Honestly, he's scared of his mummy clapping her hands, but not of a ghost or a blood-soaked room. What does he think the noise is, a ruddy balloon creeping up on him? Ridiculous. Still, he was very helpful this afternoon. What did Dave tell us? I ask, rhetorically. Bernard uncaps his marker pen in anticipation and waits for me to resume speaking. Number two, I say. Dave said the murderer left behind a residue of cooked flour and sugar. Conclusion. He eats a lot of pastry. Oh, that's Ooh, a pastry. significant clue, isn't pastry. it? Yes. And the next chapter is called Pastry in It. Pastry in it. Yes. As in, like, I double N I T. Is that London exclusively in it? Pastry in it. I can't remember when I first started saying in it. I don't think it's exclusively London, no. It, it just means isn't it? A colloquial it? Britishism, isn't it? Yes. In it. In it. In it indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6 1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Are we going to read the next chapter? Yeah, we could do Why why not? Let's stick it on. We've we've teased it now. All right. Pastry in it. Uh, You have sugar on your... um, Eldris said, indicating Egg's top lip. Your... um, He couldn't bring himself to say it. Top lip was too intimate. If he was rash enough to use that kind of language, she'd know. He might as well drop to one knee and propose right there and then amidst the greasy patrons of a North London calf... Why not just rip out his actual heart while he's at it, slap it on the formica, and beg her to eat it raw? Might as well. Oh, it's me now, isn't it? It is, As egg. You are playing egg, yes. Let me get into character. One second. All right. Egg. The character egg. Right. Sugar? Where? Egg repeated. She looked at him quizzically. Eldris brushed his own lip to indicate the fine dusting of icing sugar around her mouth. Under scrutiny, he could see the soft fuzz of blonde hairs upon which the tiny particles clung. God, it was pornographic! Egg frowned as he continued his mime. Have you got something on your face? Egg asked. She raised an eyebrow in a challenging fashion. It doesn't look like it. Eldris blinked. Was she deliberately misunderstanding him? Uh, No, not me. You. Oh, me! Why didn't you say? Where? On your... area. Eldris stuttered. Oh, God, that sounded even worse. Area? Christ! Eldris leant forward and wiped the powdery residue away. Panic made him clumsy and his thumb slid into her mouth, brushing past her front teeth before popping out the other side. Throughout, Egg remained almost completely still under his touch, watching him impassively with her clear blue eyes. Sorry! He bellowed upon completion, thus destroying the agonising intimacy that had built up. It's all right, Egg smiled. I won't report you for, you know, sexual assault. 
The word sexual hung in the air like a neon banner outside a Soho massage parlour. Um, good. Uh, thanks. Ildris bantered, wiping his thumb on his lap- lapel. Lapel? Yes, lapel. That's just a word that you always seem to have trouble with, isn't it? Yes, but I thought it was lapel for years. Lapel. It's not something I heard much. Anyway, he didn't quite know what the hell had just happened, but he was painfully turned on. Luckily, his lap was safely out of view, the Formica tabletop covering a pronounced bulge. The bulge still posed a problem, however. Soon they would finish their breakfast and Egg would suggest they leave. Eldris desperately needed to redirect the blood flow from his nethers before she had a chance to spot it. What was the unsexiest thing he'd seen recently? Corpses. Corpses of women with their heads cut off. No, we couldn't use that to destroy a boner. Something else was needed. Something equally unsexy but less disrespectful. The woman Magenta pointed them towards, Sandra Herring, popped into his head. Poor woman. I'm sure she floated someone's boat, but she didn't do much for him. Eldris pictured Sandra in cheap lingerie. Sandra dancing around in an ungainly attempted eroticism, with Bob looking on. Sandra's dog in turn watching the two of them, and according to Magenta, consciously processing information about what it was seeing and smelling, thinking, recording, evaluating. Eldris flashed back uneasily to an ex-girlfriend who'd had a cat. He'd never liked it. He felt it was judging him. His ex had told him he was ridiculous, paranoid. If Magenta was to be believed, which he almost did, then he'd been right about the damn Moggy. And it had seen him naked. What are you thinking about? Egg asked gently. Cat's being unkind about my sexual performance. He didn't say. Sandra Herring. Eldris half lied. Egg nodded. You want to try interviewing her again, she asked. She'll get spooked if we grill her a third time. It might squeeze something new out of her. Eldris mulled it over. That wasn't a bad idea. Aside from the fact she was the only person who could visually identify the Arkati killer at the moment, surely there had to be a reason why Bob had romanced Sandra in particular. Sandra, who had frequented a psychic for so many years. A psychic who hadn't yet been murdered. Plus, it'd be good to do something if he stared at the scant facts they had for any longer, looking for links, trying to see it from other angles, speculating on unlikely scenarios, he'd go round the twist. You're right. Let's go round now, see if she's in. Eldris grabbed his bag and stood up. I'll pay for the donut. He offered, and rummaged in his pocket for change. Too late! Eldris noticed Egg's eyes widening in shock. He followed her gaze downwards, towards where his trousers were stretched tight over his enormous erect willy. Ah. Got away with words, haven't I? (laughs) Oh, and that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. Another another (laughs) chapter (laughs) contributing an enormous amount to the story. (laughs) I think I was thinking B-plot. Let's have a nice romance. You sure were thinking (laughs) B-plot. Yes, that's very nice. Very nice, elegant romance we've got here. (laughs) Yes. Well, anyway, we could all do with uh, a bit of escapism, couldn't we? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> right, well, I hope that gives you pleasant <laughs> dreams, readers. You know, I'm very conscious of the fact my mother listens to this. Oh, well, it's not like she hasn't seen it all, done it all. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, will, I will talk to you soon, dear listeners. Goodbye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Night has fallen. The moon is full. 
and we're inviting you to listen to Canada by Night, a podcast where professional improvisers play Vampire the Masquerade. Detective-turned-vampire Everett Fry accidentally becomes the sheriff of New Haven, an experimental town where they're testing if vampires and humans can coexist. Stuck leading a ragtag group of officers, the Bruja bounty hunter Val, the gangrel news reporter Evangeline, and the Tremere blood witch Doris, can Everett keep the town running? Or will everyone end up liquidated by the Vampire Council of Canada? Trending on global fiction charts and produced by Dum Dums and Dice, whose podcast Dum Dums and Dragons ranked number two of all fiction podcasts in America. Listen now to find out why Canada by Night has been downloaded more than a half a million times. Canada by Night, its interview with the vampire, if it had all the characters from Parks and Wreck in it.